This morning, we, uh, I, I spoke from or taught from or didn't really read and teach necessarily directly out of it. I looked at the story of Jesus walking on the water from Matthew chapter 14, and I'd like to have you just turn, open your Bibles and turn there again tonight and join me in that same text. I told you the story this morning, and you probably already knew it before this morning, but again, we're going to use this text of Jesus coming to them in the middle of the night, actually at, towards the end of the night, uh, quite likely it was uh, as uh, daybreak was, uh, was approaching, uh, most likely, and he comes to them, and they are frustrated and frightened, and they're overwhelmed by things that are happening around them, and Jesus chooses to make himself known in that uh, in that space, in that time, as the great I am. And he wants to show them something. He wants to remind them that when they find themselves in that place of feeling overwhelmed, of feeling like it's too much, of feeling like I've been going and trying and going and trying, and I just can't quite get there. I just, I, 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 I'm afraid. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's ever going to happen like I want it to. Just the feeling, the frustration of all those things. And he wants them to know that it's my presence, the great I am, that takes the overwhelming situation that looks impossible and brings peace and brings you to the place where you are not afraid. Now, you can frame it how you'd like to. There's all kinds of ways that the Holy Spirit can and does, in fact, ap apply this stuff to your own personal life, and you should. But my aim tonight is, uh, chief among them, is to make sure that we understand, I think we all, all do, but to make sure that we understand that the first and foremost thing that is uh, threatening us to capsize us, to overwhelm us, is our own sin, is our own uh, what we owe to God that we can never pay. In fact, I think it's good theology for us to understand that all the other things that we face, all the other stuff that comes at us, we often look at them as from the outside, and some of them may come from the outside, but all of those things, they weigh on us, and they drag on us, and they tear us down, or they, they, they lure us away, or they affect us because of the sinfulness that's in here. You know that's what temptation is, right? Temptation isn't temptation unless it's actually pulling some strings of something inside that you really want. I use that example all the time with uh, people that we, when you go through discipleship stuff. You know, if I lay a chocolate bar, I may have used it here in church too, if I lay a chocolate bar on a table and you don't like chocolate, that's no temptation to you, is it? You could care less if it's laying there. You could walk past it a hundred times and you wouldn't care if it's there because you don't care about that. You don't want chocolate. But if you love chocolate, if chocolate is what you really want, then you don't have to walk past it a hundred times. You just have to know it's in the room and there's temptation there. You see, temptation, while we always see it as coming from the outside, and we have one who's a tempter, and he lays all those things in our path, but temptation has its effect because it's something inside of us that wants that. And I'm convinced, you've heard me say things like this before, I'm convinced until we are willing to dig down to the root of that place and recognize that I am the cause, I'm the problem, and I have no solution, we won't fully grasp the solution that is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, it's probably a lot of times it's much more difficult to get to that place than we think because pride has such a strong hold on us that we think at least in some measure, at least in some way, I have something to do with it, which is why I love the character of Peter. He illustrates us so well. They're in this boat. 
waves going, winds going, storms going. I don't know. I imagine there's thunder clapping, there's lightning going, and they see this figure. You know how it is when there's a storm at night and you only get like brief flashes of, of, of seeing something. And as they see that, they see there's somebody out there. There's somebody on the water. And they become really afraid. And Jesus says, take heart. I'll just read it for you. I didn't read it this morning, so I'll read it for you tonight. But immediately, this is verse 27 of chapter 14 of Matthew. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter answered him. We covered this this morning too. If it is you, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But, it says in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And it's with those words tonight that I want to focus on. Those are the key things. This morning, the focus was on Jesus' words, it is I. Tonight, the focus is on our words, Lord, save me. Lord, save me save me. Now, this morning I made, I, I, made, I suggested to us that uh, maybe it's time for us to come out of the boat. And I want to just maybe, maybe you don't like this analogy, maybe it doesn't work for you, but I want to just, just make sure we understand that for many of us, I'm guessing most of you sitting here tonight, uh, you're here on a Sunday night, you're the faithful people that come back to services, and for most of us, it's, it's not the first time we've gotten out of the boat. Most of us, by that I mean, we've accepted Jesus Christ. We've, we've received Jesus. Now, I want to assume something, by the way, because perhaps we haven't. And if it's the first time this morning as you were thinking through this, or perhaps this afternoon as you're thinking through this, and it's the first time that you are thinking to yourself, I need to hear Jesus' words telling me to come and get out of the boat. Whatever I think is going to keep me safe through this storm that I'm in, I need to get out of that and go to him. Then, then tonight's your night. But the reality is many of us are actually on that journey already. Many of us have already said yes to Jesus in some respect. Probably most of us. But that doesn't change the fact that we see Peter getting out of that boat and we see him walking on that water and then something happens, right? We see the miraculous taking place, but then he begins to look at what? He begins to look at his surroundings. He begins to see that the wind, I think if you're reading the uh, King James, it says the wind was boisterous. The wind was very strong. Suddenly he begins to realize that I'm just going to guess, as scary as it is sitting in a boat with big swells, it's even more scary when you're standing on the water with big swells. That suddenly they look even bigger. And I might suggest to you, this happens sometimes to us, I think. I might suggest to you that when he thought getting out of that boat and walking on water was going to make everything appear suddenly better, it actually looks worse to start with. It looks more difficult. It looks even tougher because now I don't even have the boat anymore. All security has been stripped away from me. Everything I thought I could take a hold of and say this is going to help me has been stripped away. And as he Look starts looking around, we all know that that means he's, where, where is he not looking anymore? Where can he not be looking at anymore? If he's looking at the wind, where can he not be looking anymore? He can no longer be looking at Jesus. Many of us here tonight, my, my guesses, have said yes to Jesus in our lives. And have probably at least in some measure gotten out of the boat if we're going to use that analogy to say we've said yes to him and we want to follow him. We want to be his disciple. But that doesn't change the fact that many of us might now be on the way to Jesus, might be on the water, and we are starting to look at the things around us. 
instead of looking at Jesus. And when that happens, you notice they're so tightly connected. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. Do you see that connection? Eyes off of Jesus, looked at the things around, was afraid and beginning to sink. And suddenly, I don't know how you think this through, but suddenly, with clarity that I'm guessing Peter had never had before, he understood something. If Jesus doesn't do something right now in this second, I am a goner. I, it's done for me. It's totally done. And I'm telling you, once again, it is, it is not easy to get us to that place. It's one of the reasons, I don't know how this went for you this afternoon, it's one of the reasons why I, from my estimation, I brought us right to the place where we could have had an altar call. I could have invited you forward and could have said, you need to repent before God for not thinking he's big enough and not realizing how small you are. But it's one of the reasons I held that off and said, no, let's, let's deal with this tonight. Because it is still difficult for us. I want to make sure that we're far enough away from the boat, if I can put it that way. That we understand that if Jesus doesn't do something, then we're lost. And again, that can mean a whole bunch of things. My first and foremost aim of that is simply this. That we understand that if Jesus, his blood does not cover our sin, we are forever eternally lost. But it can mean more than that. Because it could also mean that as we're looking around at the situation around us, and we're getting worried, and we're, we're wringing our hands, or we're worried about this, or we have something that keeps pestering us in our personal life with a sin or a temptation that we just can't seem to get rid of, or we have a, a, a son or a daughter or a sibling or a parent, or we have something that's not right in our family, or we have something that's going on, that, and we're, keep, we're putting our eyes on those things that we realize that, hey, if I take my eyes off Jesus, I sink just like that, and if I don't have Jesus intervene, then, then it's going to overwhelm me. Lord, save me is the cry that comes out. It's a similar cry. If you would flip back in your Bible to the book of Psalms. Again, we're going to uh, do some reading from some other, other places in the Bible. But the book of Psalms, chapter 69, the psalmist begins this way, the first three verses. He says this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood, wa flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. Now perhaps this is a place where you can identify with tonight. Perhaps you can look at something happening in your life and say, this is how I feel. I feel like the water has come up to like here and I can't go anymore. I'm treading with everything I have and I can't go anymore. Or perhaps it's even higher than that. I'm struggling to get my feet on some kind of firm footing. I would tell you, whether we're, whether we're looking at it that way or framing it that way, I would tell you that's one of the biggest things that this whole COVID pandemic has done. It has made a lot of people, and I think we're seeing the evidence of believers even being included in this, it has made a lot of people lose the security of their footing. Suddenly something is shaken and something is outside of our control and something is staring us in our face and something is, we don't all, we don't all take the exact same approach on it. We, and suddenly it feels like we are, we, we've been cast off the boat and we're struggling in the sea and we're trying to figure out exactly how this is going to work. I say that even for those of us, myself sometimes included, that think we have it all figured out and know what, how this really is. 
I say that because oftentimes those of us, and again, I'm including myself in this, just be, be, be sure about this. Those of us who are so vehement about something, we often are that way because we feel pretty insecure about it, actually. We actually aren't quite sure where we're at or that we're okay. Save me, God. The waters have come up to my neck. But I'd like to turn this into a place that ends productively. Because it doesn't do any good, just like I said this morning. It doesn't do any good to just recognize that we have to, we can't, we can't keep our eyes on our problems around us. We can't, we can't focus on those things. We have to look to Jesus. But there's a process that is followed. And I want us to learn from the, one of the characters in the scripture we talked about this morning. And that's the person of Job. If you flip back into Job now and look at this, I, this, to this morning I read some of these verses and I didn't read nearly all of them and maybe you spent time with them this afternoon. I hope you did. It's one of the sections for me that if I am ever, if I'm ever feeling unsure of the sovereignty of God or I'm ever feeling like I just don't know if God is still there and is still powerful, if, if I ever feel like my, my faith seems to be slipping a bit, I go back and read Job chapters 37, 38, 39, 40, 41 because I can't, Maybe it doesn't do this to you, but I, I can't read them and come away with any other conclusion but that God, <laughs> that God is so much bigger than I thought he was. And Job comes to the same conclusion. Listen to what Job says when God is, I say finally, when God is finally done asking Job these unanswerable questions. These questions that pin us right, right down to the floor and say, what are you going to do with this? You know, it's like that, Right? We can say all kinds of things. We can, we can be sure about all kinds of things, but something changes when we come into God's presence and we know there's one to, who is so much greater than us, who's so much more powerful than us, who's so much more right than we are, who's so much more pure than we are. Job reflects that, by the way. This is what he says in verse, uh, chapter 42, verse one. Then Job answered the Lord and he said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And then he quotes God, because this is what God has said to him. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's recognizing that you asked that question rightfully, God. He goes on by answering that or, or replying to that by saying, Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. And then he says something else that God was asking him. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. And now Job replies to that or responds to that and he says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I'll stop for a moment and understand what Job is saying. I told you this morning that if we were to look at the character of Job, none of us would have looked at him before this whole, as all this stuff is taking place, none of us would have looked at Job and said that, that he doesn't know God, that he's, away from, he's far away from God, or that he, he's, uh, you know, not a wise man or that he's not a man that has God's blessing or not a man who walks in the way of the Lord. None of us would, we would have all looked at Job and said, this is a man who is following after God. And I think he was. I believe the story of Job bears that out, that God himself says, here's a man who's upright. He walks blamelessly before me. But look at what Job's words, what he said there right at the end. He said, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Something changed. I said this this morning. I'll say it again tonight. Something changed in Job when it went from here. And I'm going to usually say here, but honestly, he says here. When it went from I'd heard about you to where I saw you, where I was in your presence. 
This is what I mean when I flipped into the, in the back of the story of God, the Gospel of Matthew. This is what I mean by getting out of the boat. It does us no good to know all about the gospel if we have not entered into the gospel, if we have not participated, if we have not come into the presence of the Lord. It does us no good. We know all about it. We can tell you all kinds of good, good things, wise things, smart things, right things, correct things about what the Bible says. But until we have put ourselves in a place or we've come to the place where we understand that we have zero hope, we bring nothing to the table, we are the problem, not the answer, God holds all the cards, take whatever phrase you wanna use, that God is so much bigger than we are, that we have taken the time to contemplate who God really is and we let that take its natural course. By the way, what happens, if, if, we, have, if we have sufficiently done our job and we, we uh, take time to contemplate how great and how big God really is, what, if we allow that to take its natural course, what, what, what's the next thing that we think about about us? If God is so humongous as I've tried to make the case for you this morning, what does that mean about me? Who am I? How big am I? How big are you? Tell me. Like the grass. Do you remember Jeremiah this morning? What did he call us? I think it was Jeremiah. Maybe it was Isaiah. Do you know what he called us? Grasshoppers. He called us grasshoppers. He called the princes of the, of the nations, the kings of nations, he called them as fleeting as seed that just got planted and it just came up and whew, it's gone. When we understand how great God is, we cannot help but agree with the truth that I am so, 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 so tiny, minuscule compared to God. That's not what our flesh wants to hear, by the way. That's not what we want to say about ourselves. We like to make much of ourselves. We like to pretend that, we, but, but I, that's all the stuff I've been saying. Until we come to that place, and we will not come to that place until we've truly been in the presence of the Lord. Up until then, we can, we, we can say all the right things, but we still have this, if you want to call it pride, this arrogance, this idea in our head that we, I shouldn't say it this way because we matter tremendously to God, but that we matter. That we're somehow important in this whole scheme of things. I hate to break it to us, but God, <laughs> when you're outside of time, when you don't even, like, centuries and millennia and whatever you want to call it, when, when they're but this because you've always been, you always will be, what is 70 years? What is 80 years? It seems like a long time to us, doesn't it? But it is, it's faster than a blink. It's faster than a blink. And I don't want to send the wrong message tonight. I don't want you to think that you don't matter to God. You matter infinitely to God. That's why he sent his son to you. But I do want us to understand. I do want us to understand sort of where we stack up, if you will, next to who God is. What role of importance we play. 
I'm telling you, this, this is not with the message, but this affects so much of our outlook on life. We get so worked up when God doesn't answer a prayer request we might have, and it might take, oh, heaven forbid, it might take a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks? What is that to God? He's writing a grand story, and we hear about one little blip inside of it. I don't want us to make feel really bad about ourselves, but I kind of do want us to see that we're not, well, we're not quite as big as we think. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And then I didn't, I actually, I don't know if you noticed this, I stopped short of reading the last verse because I want to put it up here and pay attention to it for a little bit. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. I want to be careful how I say this because I don't, There certainly are limits to, what, to where this goes or what this means. But I want us to understand tonight that what the Bible is teaching us here, what, I, what the message that I think of the Holy Spirit wants to get across to us here tonight flies in the face of what the world says is the way to fix our problems. And I want everyone to hear this from youngest to oldest. The world tells us that we fix our self-esteem problems by thinking more of ourselves, by elevating ourselves, by, by recognizing how great we are, by how much we have to offer and how all, we are the answer to this. And this to me, listen, this is a man of whom God said is blameless before him. And he said, therefore, I despise myself. When I stand next to God, when I compare myself, when I am in the presence of God and he's firing these questions at me that are unanswerable and yet the answer is so very clear, I know where I am and who I am and where I belong. And I despise myself and that makes me repent in dust and ashes. And it's this little word, repent. I said it in my prayer tonight. It's this little word that is like putting the key in a door, and that unlocks that door so that you can open it and walk to the freedom that's on the other side. And you can't get there unless you're going to hold that key, which is repentance, which is a recognition of your great, 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 great need before God. And the fact that you want that to change. You don't want to be in that place. You don't want to be in that boat, and Jesus is over there. You want to be with him because you know that's the only hand, hope you have. I know this is not how we often do things. But the other reason, and I'm, I don't know how this is going to go, but the other reason I want this to be sitting with you is I want you to be thinking about who God is, how great God is, and who you are in light of that. I don't know, maybe for you it is a reminder of sin that's in your life and shouldn't be there. Maybe it's a reminder of things you're worrying about that you really shouldn't. Maybe it's a reminder of things you're doing that you shouldn't or things you're not doing that you should. We're going to give you a chance. I'm going to give you a chance at some point tonight to come to, up here, go on your knees before God and make things right with Him. 
But I don't want to walk away from these words, what Job says, when I recognized who God is and who I was, I despised myself and I repented in dust and ashes. I'm going to do something we don't often do, and that is invite you to consider sharing some of things that the Lord was saying to you this afternoon or this morning in a sermon or maybe just tonight even and sharing it with the rest of us. If you want to call it repentance, it may look like that. It may simply be the confession out of your mouth of what God, who he is, how much you need him. I didn't prep you for that. I didn't even prep the sound guy for this, but I, I, would, I would love to have you come up front and stand in front of this microphone, just like we do for sharing time, if you're willing to, and share anything that the Lord has on your heart. It doesn't have to be your repentance of some awful sin that you've done. It can be. If it is, you should, let's take care of it tonight. Let's bring it to the light. Let's oh, turn that key and walk through that door to the freedom that's on the other side. It could simply be something that the Lord is stirring in your heart and you want to you say it out loud. As you think tonight about stepping out of the boat, so to speak, or perhaps if you're out of the boat already, but you've been looking around and fear is creeping in, I'm going to remind you of what Peter wrote to us in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Can I remind you tonight, whatever struggle you are facing, whether it's a struggle with sin, whether it's a struggle with a, a worry of some kind, whether it's a struggle of, of something else that's happening, whether it's a darkness that's, put, that's encroaching, can I encourage you that when you come to Jesus, you're coming to a living stone who is forming you also to be living stones in a spiritual house. He's forming you to be a part of a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're making a decision. You have the option. You have the opportunity to make a decision to join from once not being a people to being a people, to once not having mercy but to having mercy. But it will require you to get out of that boat. It will require you to stop looking at all the stuff around you and to look to Jesus and come to him. And to cry out to him with every fiber of your being, with the knowledge that's rooted so deep down that it can't go anywhere else, but come out in a cry that says, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Help me. If you don't help me, I'm lost. If you don't help me, I'm not going to make this. If you don't help me, I will not get through this. Lord, help me. 
just to be very clear, we know these things, but just to be very clear because it's the, it's the opportunity laid before us. When Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin and they're speaking about why they do the things they do in Acts chapter 4, they say this. They say, this Jesus, this one we've been talking about, this one who walks on the water and invites us to come out to him on the water, no matter how dangerous it looks, no matter how impossible it looks, no matter how much it looks like we can't do it, and we can't unless their eyes are fixed on him. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And he says, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I can tell you definitively, I can tell you without any doubt, I can tell you without feeling like I'm pulling any wool over your eyes or I'm trying to be uh, persuasive or, or, or mislead you in any way. I can tell you there is no other option to being saved than Jesus. The question is, do you see yourself tonight as Peter standing on waves and beginning to look around and realizing how, how impossible this is and being afraid and beginning to sink and knowing your only option is to cry out, Lord, save me. That's the choice that stands before you. There's no other one. You can keep, keep trying to row the boat, or you can sink into the waters, or you can cry out, Lord, save me. And all those things I read in Peter and all the things we see in the, in the book of Matthew that happened will be true. I'd like to give you a chance to respond to that. I'm going to invite you to stand because it's a lot easier to do this when we're standing. We're a lot, we seem to be a lot more mobile. If you would stand with me tonight, if you would close your eyes, I know I asked you to come up front and that's hard for us to do when everyone's watching, when everyone's looking, but if you were just to close your eyes tonight, and I am asking you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads you. I'm inviting you to come forward if you'd like to do so. I do believe, and I'll say this very very upfront, I do believe that there's something about, you know, Peter had to get out of that boat and walk to Jesus. There had to be something visual. There's something visible about his decision, and it left him in a place of complete vulnerability. And I believe it is the same for you and I. I believe there's a difference. Hear me on this. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's the end of the line or that there's no other choice, but I believe there's a difference between saying some prayer where you're at right now and saying, I want to be right with you, and walking up front and making sure that the world knows, so to speak, and the world's not even here, but the, but the world knows that, that it's visible that I am going to sink if I don't have Jesus saving me, and I want to cry out to him, Lord, save me. Jesus, tonight we come to you. We recognize that there is no option to be saved other than by you. There's no other choice we have. There's no other path. There's no other way, and the first and foremost above all that is I want to confess that I am not the answer. I am not the way. I'm not the truth. I'm not the life. I'm not the light of the world. I'm not any of those things, but you are Jesus. And I have proceeded to make a mess of so many things. I've responded in pride and in anger to people. I have chosen to rely on my own strength. I have become fearful of what may happen. I've become fearful of what is happening. 
And all of those things are me taking my eyes off of you, Jesus. And tonight I'm saying, I'm crying out, Lord, save me. Change what's happening in my heart. Change what my eyes are looking at. If you don't come and do this, Jesus, <laughs> I have no other hope. And I'm tired of rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and being no closer to shore than I was a week ago or a year ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. Please tonight, if you would be willing to just do some business with the Lord, I invite you. Take advantage of the opportunity been given to you. I'm going to be quiet for a little bit. Just let you talk to the Lord on your own. Please do so. Jesus, you are the light of the world. You are the healer of nations. You are the one whose blood was spilled, was shed to make payment for our sins. You are the one who releases those imprisoned, who brings sight to the blind, freedom to the captive. Tonight, those of us who are on our knees, those of us who are recognizing our need, Jesus, that's why you came. You said you did not come to be served, but to seek and save that which was lost, and that was us. And we're so thankful. We shout to the heavens, 
Just as we cried out to be saved, we shout glory to God in the highest. You have brought forth salvation. You have won the victory. You have overcome death and sin. Where death is your sting? Where grave is your victory? It is swallowed up. Oh, Jesus, we glorify you. We magnify you. We declare you to be the greatest and the highest. We give you first place in our lives. We say there can be no other because there is no other. And in my life, I don't want any other. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for your balm of peace to come to those who tonight have cried out, Lord, save me. Whatever their need, Jesus, you know it and you can touch it. I pray for you to bring healing. I pray for you to bring insight. I pray for you to change situations, to change lives, to change trajectories, to change the path. And whether that's the path of someone we love or whether that's our own path, that tonight might be the night that we've said, I will look at you and follow you on the water. We sang it, Jesus. Did we mean it? Can we now say it again? He leadeth me, O blessed thought. Thank you. Thank you. Father, you've demonstrated such great love to us, such great mercy and compassion towards us, and we give you praise, we thank you, we love you, we love you because you first loved us. We want to not only declare our love for you, but we want to demonstrate our love for you by being obedient to you, by following your commands. God, thank you for this body these believers, those who are here in front and those who are in their seats and those who are, are here tonight that have said, I want to follow, I want to submit, I recognize I need Jesus so desperately and have cried out to him. I thank you for being faithful to your own self. I pray tonight all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I invite you, you may be seated again if you'd like. If you're up front, that's fine. You can stay here. You can go sit back down again. I'd... Let me say one more thing. We often approach things like this, and we, maybe you're not like this, but I, I see this many times in myself or uh, in others. We approach things like this, and we say, ah, it's sort of a finishing point. I want to encourage us to not look at it that way and say, this is not a finishing point. It's not an end point. This is a beginning point. This is a beginning point. I stopped one verse short of this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 11, he says, beloved, as he said, all these great things about when you come to Jesus, the cornerstone, you've decided you're going to receive him. You're going to believe in him. The honors for those who believe. Those who reject him, they're brought to shame. But those who believe... They're the ones that are called the holy nation, the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the people of God's own possession. But as he says that, he says, beloved, 
I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is the beginning point. I urge you, and he says something pretty key there. We should see ourselves as sojourners and exiles. This is not where we belong. This is not our home. This is not where we're building our kingdom. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And if you care to, then keep reading the rest of 1 Peter because he talks about what a lot of those things are, what it means to abstain from the passions of our flesh, how to live together in our society, as husbands and wives, in our churches, all kinds of things. Well, that's my closing urging exhortation of you that we would see ourselves as sojourners and exiles and we would fight to abstain from the passions of our flesh which are waging war against our soul.